the PCAM podcast, recorded at Wave Studios, a sound design and mixing facility with a worldwide reputation for audio excellence. The PCAM Hi there, welcome back to another PCAM podcast. Today we are going to talk about soundalikes. Um, I'm joined, as usual, by Tony, Augusta, Chris, Sally and Simon. And you can hear more about them, their work on previous podcasts or go check out the PCAM website and the committee section. So, um, soundalikes, um, who would like to start us off talking I, about I would like those? to start with just one thing, is that people are under the misconception that... Um, plagiarizing copyright is a very uh, practical thing in that there are if you copy four notes in a row <laughs> or if you copy you know one bar then it's then it's plagiarism but if you don't then you're fine this is all nonsense the 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 main thing in any plagiarism plagiarism case is the fact that the tracks will be judged by a layman which will be a judge who will probably be 103 years old and if he thinks that one track sounds like another track then you have infringed copyright so it's important to realize that it's not an exact science mm. and there are no uh, total rules that would work mm. in all cases I think the first rule you should be mindful of is is whether the publishing company, it's not publishing company, sorry, the agency or the um, production company have approached the publisher or the artist. This completely changes whatever you do. If they have, the first thing you need to do is immediately get a musicologist involved and get them to check every stage of your work. Um, I think what's interesting at the moment is that Probably the most successful people in our business are musicologists these days. Uh, there is so much potential litigation going on at the moment. Um, most of it actually doesn't ever get to court, but because agencies n never want to, uh, you know, be seen with, or they don't want their clients to see them in court. It's a very, it's a very sort of tricky area. So, it, the, the uh, record companies and publishing companies um, are now compared to what they were 15 years ago, broke. And they see sync as a, a major source of income. And they see that people infringing them in any way, shape or form, they will have a go at you. Even if you are very careful, even if you're very mindful of what you're doing, it, it's a minefield out there. So I think mean, that's a word of warning straight away. So if, they, if the agency have approached the publishing company or the record company, you have to be extra, extra careful. And in yeah. fact, in fact, it means you you have to make a point of doing something very different from the original track mm. because they will potentially, you know, sue. Yeah, yeah. And on on that point too, often when agencies try and push you to get more and more like a track, I would be happy to do it on the condition that they indemnify me against any legal action. And agencies obviously don't want to do this, but I have to say that quite often when they've wanted to get very close to something further than we wanted to go, they have actually agreed to indemnify me. Mm. And that way, then it doesn't matter how close you go because it's, it's their problem, not yours. Yeah, that's, that's a very rare thing, though, isn't it? I think. It has happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and with us, I think once. But so much of what we do these days is a sound alike. Agencies start off with a reference and... You know, there therein lies the issue constantly. And let's say if they've approached them, then you have to be extra careful. If they haven't, then you know you can. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to say, how common is it? Do people think? Um, like, do you always start off with a, a reference track? Or nine times out of ten these days. I mean, a lot of times. I mean, I, I would just add to that, that that you know, following from what Tony said initially, you know, the definition that we've all got to be careful of is passing off, and what that actually means is not the number of notes that are sequentially similar, but the intention or the perceived intention that what you do is meant to fool an audience into believing that it's actually been recorded by an original artist. So the classic example of this that we all refer to um, in America was Tom Waits, where, where somebody sounded like Tom Waits, even if actually he sang a completely original tune that Tom Waits had never sung. The bottom line was the intention was to make the listener believe that the vocalist was in fact Tom Waits. And in that case, he sued and won. Well, of course, so, always when you get films with a track already striped on them before you're asked to do your track, you know, that is already 90%, as Simon was saying, particularly if they've gone and approached the artist and been turned down, which is quite often they have, there's 90% towards saying, you know, we are intentionally ripping off this track. What was interesting about the Tom Waits case was, was particularly was that the uh, agency had advertised for a sound alike <laughs> so they were Whoops. completely <laughs> and utterly banged to rights. Yeah. But, what, but the other, another case that went was, to court was the Bette, Bette Midler case. And Bette Midler had been approached by an agency to, uh, they asked if we could buy one of, a track one of our albums, and she refused point blank. And so they found the, the guy who wrote, they found the guy who wrote that, she wrote the song, they asked him, he said, of course you can do it, and that, of course you can use it as long as you pay me a big enough fee. They then got a, a Bette Midler sound like he in, and uh, recorded it, advert went out, she immediately sued. And uh, the judge w found in her favour, and the, I think the ruling was something, something along the lines that the, the our voice is, is part of our civil civil liberty. No, it's not uh, civil footprint. I don't know what, yeah. what it was, but it's, it's you know it's, it's part of our individual. It's your it's your property. Yeah, it's effectively like intellectual property. Exactly, the fact yeah. that it's your voice is is you know it's your trademark. It's your hallmark, isn't it? And, yeah. and in America too, who are always much more much more litigious than they are in the UK at the moment. Uh, somebody was also sued for sounding like Carlos Santana mm. and he wasn't playing a Carlos Santana riff but mm. the, the guitar the sound, sound really? was spot yeah. on yeah. And, yeah. and the judge found in their favour yeah. really? yeah. well I mean that's, that's really tricky because obviously sometimes whilst you're composing the track you're deliberately trying to find I remember we were saying Tony earlier about using ribbon mics for certain things or something like that or was, was that you Chris mm. I was talking yeah. to you about um, and how far can you go in terms of replicating someone else's style before you need to worry is it just a question of getting a musicology report or you know are there some guidelines which you can sort of unfortunately it's a knowledge of music that yeah. does it really i mean realistically that that if you don't know your history of music and you're not deeply immersed in it it's quite difficult to tell sometimes how close you can get i mean the point is that a sound like or style like could always be the next track on the album so that you can have you can have the same instrumentation <clears throat> you can have the same sort of arrangements but as long as you keep off the the, the idea that it that it it is absolutely like anything else you could probably be okay but it's quite difficult to know that and it's a very a very um difficult area and as simon was saying you know that's why musicologists now are called on so many things because they they then make a uh, informed judgment as to what a judge would or would not think about this. Also, it's important to say that, <laughs> tactically speaking, one of the good things, if, if you hire a musicologist because you're in doubt and going to areas that you feel dodgy about, the good thing about the, hiring the musicologist, it means the other side can't hire him. 
So you've got in there first. It also means that you've been diligent. You've you've made every attempt not to copy that track or infringe that track in any way. And it, I think if a, a judge sees that you've done that, you've been you've been honourable you know, in your intention, then I think you you're going to be a lot better off. I must say, I do think it's a fairly sad indictment of the perception of of music in TV commercials that this is even still happening. I mean, I find fewer and fewer agencies are trying to push into this area. I don't know what your experience is. I mean, certainly, well, they, they don't come to my company for it, maybe just because we're not known for doing it. I always find it very sad that they actually aren't capable of just walking away from a track and saying, OK, we can come up with something that's different and better. Yeah, but there's two reasons for that, really. One, I mean, and whilst we may not approve of them, um, we have to understand them. One is that, you know, that films are cut by editors in rooms where they want something to cut to and they they are they're making a sort of stylistic judgment when yes. they put a track on and hope for tends to be something which makes them look cool, <laughs> cooler than their clients. So they will tend to put on something very hip that they've cut to. And then, of course, the first time the, the, the client sees, the agency sees their film cut into some sort of coherent shape, it's already got a track on it. And inevitably, because it's the first time it's been a coherent shape, they get very excited about it. And they intuitively or instinctively grab the track oh, that works great with that track and then they find they can't afford it but it's still indelibly printed in their mind so we've got to understand that as much as we might not like that that's that's kind of the reason for it but increasingly i find we often well we will get films where they've got two or three different tracks they've cut to and they they're quite able to say you know what we're not none of these are actually quite working but we like the mood of that's this true. or we like you know yeah. what i mean which is a much healthier place to be and i wish that for we sure. could you know, I wish that that was more often the yeah. case. And a lot of editors, I think, know. We had a, a seminar on editing and in um, advertising. Was it about two years ago mm. at PCAM? And a lot of the editors said, "We know that we're kind of setting you up for a bit of a hard time, and we try and sort of encourage, you know, the the client to look at other options and things yes. like that." So, quite a lot of the time, the editors are sympathetic to this, but at the end of the day, it needs to be cut to something because yes. they are very rhythmic, yes. and they're not going to cut it to a tempo track. It's going to be a piece of music. Yeah. And I mean, also, you know, a, few, a couple of years ago in America, a number of editors. I think it was editors who were actually successfully sued for putting to cutting to tracks because yeah. it predetermined or it, it, it basically left the door wide open to, 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 to a, a case of passing off. Simply mm -hmm. the, the fact that, you know, I mean, a musicologist will say to you something that Tony said. One of the first questions were, were you played a track when you were briefed? And the truth is that very often we were. Mm. So we've got to be very careful. It's a, it's a, it's a minefield. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think... Um, it's a lot to do... I mean, a lot of composers aren't going to be affording to pay a musicologist, especially not in a pitch situation where they don't know that they're getting paid and they might sidestep it in favour of just trying to use their common sense, which is, you know, mm. not ideal, but it will happen. And uh, I think it's really important to understand uh, the communication, again, uh, between the people giving you the brief and trying to understand what it is that they are enjoying about that reference track. Obviously, a lot of the time it is to do with editing and things have been edited to tracks, but sometimes it's actually not necessarily... It can be very different elements of that track that they like, and it, it can be to do with mood, it can be to do with the sound of the reverb. It, does, it could be so many things that you need to kind of... It's about finding the essence of what delivers that mood, and that actually doesn't have that much to do with the sound alike. 
And so a different approach at that point is yeah. is really important. The communication at that point but f- from the creatives and the brief and the composer. I would agree entirely with that. And I, But I think also what tends to happen in the process is that then there's a tipping point, isn't it, where all of a sudden you just start to realise what's going on. Because you're absolutely right. In any instance, there should be an opportunity to find out what it is about a track and do something completely different that ticks those boxes. But then there will come a tipping point where you realise that someone somewhere is going, I want that track, I want it Mm -hmm. closer to that track, I'm missing this bit, I'm missing that bit, I want to hear this there. Um, And when you when you get past that point and you know you're in dodgy territory, I think at that point you are completely within your rights, even if you're still in the demo stage, to say, if this goes on to be a commission, we need a musicologist's report and it's yeah. on you. And I won't, I won't let this go, go further without one. And most agencies, I think, will be, will be agreeable to that, won't they? Yeah, they'll be yeah. glad for the yeah. tip-off. I mean, you yeah. know, it's... Yeah. it's Again, the, the, you're being employed as the expert here. Exactly. And to be honest, if you're doing a professional job and you can see warning signs flashing, it's your obligation to tell your client. Yes, it's... So, you know, just preserving their relationship with their client as much as it yes. is preserving your sanity and, 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 you know, business reputation. There's another um, thing that I think you need to be aware of, and I know we've had this conversation before, about when you give stems um, for the final mix. Yes, the, the America particularly now, and I've been in the UK as well now, they always want stems. So what they want is they want all the tracks stripped out so they can remix it their way. And again, I had a thing recently with America and they wanted these stems and it was um, a track which they'd licensed, but I was concerned about the passing off side of it. Um, and I said, well, I can't indemnify. They wanted me to indemnify them. And I said, well, I can't indemnify you if you're going to remix the tracks because I have no control over it. And you could do anything. You could put any amount of, uh, of you know, trickery on those tracks, which could then be the cause of the infringement. Mm-hmm. So they agreed to indemnify me and I gave them the stems and everyone was happy. That's good. Mm, but it is it is a thing that happens on you, you you need to remember that because obviously you think when you've done the mix that's it but when you send them the stems god it can turn out like a different track when you when you get it when you hear it on air mm, yeah and i think maybe one thing to do if a client is very invested in a track is to try and really involve them in the process of you trying to do something a little bit different so rather than just doing something straight away and sending it to them like picking up on what you were saying Sally try and make them um, feel like they're involved in what it is that they like about the track so having a conversation with them and maybe sending them you know, a few rough versions and saying is it this, is it that and then trying to build up a relationship where they're invested in it, you can maybe try and get around that and come to something different but sending them something cold is maybe a bit harder yeah. and somebody up there just, as you said, I think that wants so. that track. Yeah. And it's a very good thing to try and do, uh, the problem being often though is that people have invested so much time and energy in a particular track yeah. and they really don't want to hear anything different. Yeah. And you can, sorry to interrupt, but you can, and I've seen it with a couple of, uh, of our composers, you can sort of, over a period of time, especially if the fees are quite big, be sort of pushed, you know, slightly, you know, week by week, nearer and nearer the, the, the temp track. Mm. And, uh, uh, and then suddenly... A month later, you listen. You, you you compare the tracks back to back, and you're and you know you've got you potential problem there. So mm. it's something to keep an eye on constantly. I think. Yeah, yeah I think so. Although I mean, I have to say, you know, years ago, um, did a commercial which which uh, where they they approached the artist. It was Portishead. That you know, when Portishead was like what everybody wanted, and uh, there was no way they could they could have it, and they'd cut to it. 
and and it's you know the initial thing is well how close can we go and and I said look you know it was a film shot by Frank Budge and it was a beautiful film it was looked great I said look you know this is such a great film you know it's kind of sad at this point to kind of give up on it and do something which is going to sound like the track you couldn't afford because everybody knows it's the track you couldn't afford as well as getting me into trouble or you into trouble wasn't it much much better at this point to actually maintain your creative integrity and do something as i said before you know one thing i try and do is move it as you said towards a style alike where you think you know as i say i envisage that's the cd on the shelf what's the cd that sits next to it let's go there <laughs> so mm-hmm. i'm i'm a well away from the model but i'm kind of proximate I think also that the the big problem is that um, sometimes you actually, the agency are well aware of the issue, but it's the client who's really fallen in love with the track. And I I actually believe, and I'd be quite interested to have a, a brain surgeon or an expert tell me, I'm sure there's a part of the brain that once it's heard something a certain number of times, it literally just switches off when it hears something else. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they call it the demo effect, don't they? When like, yeah. bands listen to their demos, when they think stuff right, yeah, it stops exactly. out of tune, it's and they exactly go like, the oh, thing. no, I like that version better, even though it's yeah. out of tune, because they're just used to yeah. hearing it Absolutely. in a certain way. So there's definitely a psychological thing there, yeah. yeah. And often, too, I've found that when they've arrived at that situation where they've got so close and you're very worried and they're very worried, they actually just go out and get the money from the client and buy the track they wanted yes. in the first It will yeah. magically appear, yeah. the yeah. funds. And that does happen, that again happens a hell of a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. It and does. you sit there yeah. frustratedly thinking, why have we been through all this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is very true. Um, so I think we're coming to the end of our allotted time. So does anyone have any final thoughts? Be careful. Tread with caution, yes. definitely. Yes. And know yeah. the limits of how much you will do yeah. in this endeavour. Like, yeah. <laughs> at some point, stop. Realise that they don't want any other track and then yeah. draw the line. Yeah, seek help if in doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for listening to uh, another uh, PCAM podcast. Um, you can find out more information at pcam.co.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, finally, let's do a wave to wave since we're in wave, wave studios. Wave, wave. And a, a wave to Tom who's now picked up on it and uh, waves at us back every time which is great. Um, <laughs> we're big fans of wave. They've allowed us to do the recording here and they're a great facility so please do go and check them out too. And we look forward to to doing another PCAM podcast soon. The PCAM podcast.